Hi, I'm Anna. Welcome to the Property Empress podcast. As you can probably tell, I'm flying solo again this week. Unfortunately, Richard is unable to join me, but I'm really hoping that he'll be back on again next week because we do miss Richard. He does just make the podcast so much more fun for me to record. And I know you guys love hearing his questions, his take on things, his experiences. So we're hoping that Richard will be back next week. I'm sure he'll be listening to this. So Richard, I hope you're well and I look forward to having you back. Today's episode is an interesting one. It's a little bit of an extension from last week. I shared last week basically what's going on with the banking system about the fact that banks are effectively creating money that is no longer linked to the gold standard. And it was really just to enlighten and share how money is distributed basically, especially around the fact that banks have announced that they're going to be moving into the rental sector. So they're actually going to be becoming landlords themselves, which I personally think is a massive conflict of interest. The intention was not to scare or to create fear. It was really because that not many people are aware of it is really to shine the light on the banking sector and the financial sector and really how heavily it influences the property market. With that in mind, I did share it on my TikToks. I have been sharing on my social media last week and it has had quite a lot of interest, shall we say. So I wanted to follow on because I don't, like I said, I don't want to scare people. I think information is power. And the idea really is for me that we can't, as an individual, I can't stop the banks doing that. And I think the most powerful thing I can do is not be dependent on the banks. And I think that's been a big shift for me over the last few years about the fact that we are told we need mortgages to buy houses and we actually don't. I think if you if you asked 100 people on the street, I would be very surprised if any of them thought that you could buy houses without using a bank or if, and even not even using your own money. Like, you know, the, the idea is you either have to save up the money yourself to buy a house or you have to use a mortgage actually not the case. So that's the intention. That's the purpose of tonight's or today's podcast. I'm going to be sharing three ways that you can buy houses without using a bank and also without using your own money. But that's kind of, that's just like an added bonus. The thing with the banks is that it's a useful tool. Like there's huge benefits to using a mortgage to buy a property, but there's massive drawbacks and it's not very flexible. So I'm going to kind of cover like the benefits of using mortgages and the drawbacks using mortgages I'm also going to you can also use these principles to buy your own property so that's actually what we did so I'm going to very briefly touch on that and then I'm going to break down the three different ways that you can actually buy houses without using banks the biggest benefit to using a mortgage or working with a bank's uh, money to be able to buy houses is it's plentiful 99.9% of people who don't have the money saved up or haven't got the money to buy a property they will go to a bank so it's the most freely accessible lending or freely accessible money possible. Obviously, there's massive restrictions with this if you don't have good credit and depending on what kind of property you're buying, if you don't have the affordability, if you're too young, too old, like if they basically deem you an unsatisfactory potential client, they won't lend to you. They will only lend, they will basically be very selective. They will only lend really to people who have money, have good credit. So meet this very strict criteria, which unfortunately means a lot of people miss out, particularly when it comes to buying your own home. The vast majority of people people can't buy their own homes because of the fact that it's usually they don't have the deposit 
or they don't have they don't pass the affordability to be able to buy properties in their area or they have bad credit they tend to be the the main three things like being self you're at a disadvantage for being self-employed but it's still possible if you meet the criteria if you fall within what they consider to be someone that they would like to lend to they'll fall over themselves to lend to you if you're not they're not interested so if you meet that criteria, absolutely use the banks. Like, There's nothing wrong with using banks, but it's when we become dependent, when we feel we don't have any other options, that it becomes a problem, in my opinion. And I think, unfortunately, the vast majority of people fall into that category. This is why I'm so happy that this works for buying your own home and rental properties. But that's the biggest advantage. It's t- it's potentially the cheapest lending. I know we've talked about mortgage rates being very high, but it's actually potentially the cheapest lending, the most straightforward and the easiest to access. Like you can just literally, you know, click a, well, kind of click it, not anymore. Actually with the mortgage process, it's quite full on, but you can effectively click a button and get a, get lending. And when I say cheap as well, compared to other more mainstream lending. But like I said, the, the biggest drawback is the flexibility. If you don't meet their criteria, you can't have a conversation with them and convince them that you are, um, you know, a, a suitable candidate. Like it's very inflexible. It's very rigid as well. Like the fees they charge you, it's really expensive borrowing, like thousands of thousands of pounds, thousands of pounds of early repayment charges. It's a very long, difficult process. The other, actually, the other advantage that I didn't mention was it is regulated. So in theory, you know, there's there should be... <laughs> There should be lots of regulation. There should be lots of rules to keep you and the bank safe. Whether or not the banks are being prioritised is a you know matter of opinion. For me, I like the idea of having the bank. If I want to be, if I can use mortgages, want to be able to use mortgages, then fabulous. But I want as many different options as possible. And I think people need as many different options as possible. So that's what we're going to explore today. In terms of buying properties with uh, for a buy-to-let property, it's actually much easier to get the non-bank lending because you have a very well-known asset class. You have an income from the property. You have long-term uplift. You can structure it, and this is what we'll talk about in a little while. You can structure it in a way that you're comfortable that you can repay that loan. So when it's a rental property, it's far easier to get the lending. When you're buying for yourself, it's it's much harder, but not impossible. You just need to kind of tweak, and you need to be a little bit more fine-tuned with it. And I think you also have to be a little bit more selective about who you're working with. So coming back to the three ways that I'm going to discuss tonight, the first way is going to be using, if you've watched me for a while, you're going to know this, but the first way is using angel investors. Angel investor is literally just Joe Bloggs, a regular person who has money in the bank, who is looking to get a better rate of return because of course the banks don't the savings, like the money you give to the bank to put in savings, they will give you a very low. So at the moment, it's like 2% interest rate. But then if they're lending you money, they'll lend you money at 6%. Like that's kind of one of the many ways how they make money. So a lot of people have money in savings at the moment that's earning 2%. Inflation, this, the official statistic is around 10% per annum. So if you have 100 grand going in the bank and they're like, well, but you're going to get 102 in a year's time. That's great. But prices because of inflation being so high that's going to be worth well under 100 grand in a year's time so there's a lot of people that have money in the bank who want to get a better rate of return are interested in property either don't know how to do it or don't want to do it themselves or don't know you know or just maybe they've had a bad experience with tenants or the regular there's a lot of regulation that comes along but basically they want the returns of property without getting overly involved So they might lend to someone like us, for example, where we offer, for example, 8% return as a secured investment. So it's secured against the property, so there's some security, they get a good rate of return. 
And it's basically completely hands off. So they're very interested in that. And particularly as you go through the process and explain how it works and you get a property that you know, the biggest thing is you know how to repay that loan. And if anything goes, like you have a plan, if anything goes AWOL, you have to have lots of backup plans. So as long as if you have lots of risk mitigation, then it's potentially something that regular Joe blogs will be interested in. And when I say regular Joe blogs, blogs, I'm literally talking about regular Joe blogs. It's not the Richard Branson living in the fancy house with a fancy car. In my experience, the people who have built wealth and are looking to invest some significant amount of money are people who have been good with their money, saved their money, invested their money wisely, and are of the investor mindset. They don't live in the fancy houses because it drains their money. They don't have the fancy cars. These are all kind of luxury items. And that's why a lot of people who have the luxury items very rarely have money to invest. In my experience, it's not people who fit the angel criteria are not people who you would necessarily think of. So this is why when I talk about finding angel investors, I'm talking like just talk to everyone that will listen about what you're doing and you will find people gravitate towards you. And they're usually the ones that are because they're sat there with the money in the bank thinking this is going down in value. I want to get it into a better performing uh, like uh, investment vehicle. I really like property. And then suddenly there's someone talking about, I work with angels and I invest other people's money, give them a guaranteed rate of return and all this kind of thing. So they're looking for you, but the only way you're going to find them is by talking about it and basically putting your open for business light on, like just talk about it as much as possible, share on social media, like just light up, like tell everyone, tell anyone and everyone what you're doing and you will basically attract an angel. I would hazard a guess that one in four to one in seven people are in a position where they could be an angel investor. So I think there's a lot of people who have money in the bank who would be potential angel investors. So the more you talk about it, the more basically you're likely to attract one. I'm going to go through very simply how it works. There's a lot to it. So obviously I'm going to simplify it, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, It is important you do your research and due diligence. Like I said, you can borrow the money, you can plan, but you have to have as many backup plans as possible to make sure you can repay that money because it's so important that you repay that money as you would with the bank. But this is a person, you know, this is Joe Bloggs. This is a face to it. So that's why I'm like, I don't know why I feel like it's so much more important to repay an angel investor. It's obviously important to repay the bank, but there's something about working with a person. It makes it so much more personal, so much more powerful, so much more potent. So you have to be super, super cautious and mitigate as much risk as possible. But I'm going to go through some numbers and give you a very broad idea of how this works. So you're trying to buy cheaper properties and force the value up to allow yourself the um, ability to be able to refinance at some point to pull the investor's money back out again to pay them back with interest effectively. But I'll break it down. So imagine you are buying a property. So I love direct to vendor. Direct to vendor is coming back in again. So we're going to be doing it in a big way. But basically, imagine you meet someone like say you've got some advertising up saying I buy houses, any condition, call Anna on this number. You might have someone that calls you and say they're living in a rundown property and the property next door is in the same exact same condition as rundown that has just sold on the market for 100 grand. You would be buying this property for 90 grand because you want below market value. And then say the other side, the neighbor is exactly the same property, but it's in beautifully just done up condition. And that's just sold for 115 grand. So you know that if you buy this property for 90 grand, spend five grand, not 15, spend five grand on it, add the value, it's worth 115. So that's what I mean by forcing out the value. Then you hold on to the property in an uplifting market. You hold on to the property for two or three years usually to allow that nice uplift. 
So now imagine that you take that 115 grand property and leave it in an uplifting market for say three years. So it's then worth about 104, I think that's an 8% per annum increase, which would take it to 145,000 pounds. So you've bought a property for 90 grand, knowing that in about three years time, it's likely to be worth about 145 grand. At 145 grand, you can refinance onto a buy-select mortgage um, and you go for the maximum loan to value just to get pull the money out to be able to pay back your angel. So say you did an 80% loan to value, that would pull out, let me just check my numbers, <laughs> that would pull out 116 grand. So that's in the refinance. So you've borrowed 90 grand and you're pulling out 116. However, you need to pay three years worth of interest. And the way you pay the interest is yes, partly from the capital uplift, um, but also from the income. Because when you're getting, so for this property, you could, could be getting easily about 700 pounds a month, but you don't have a mortgage. So what you can do is you can put half of the interest payment that's due to the investor, say 8%, you'd be putting half of that aside. So that works out as about 300 pounds a month of the 700 you're receiving, you put aside as a kind of mortgage payment. You can pay the, you can actually pay the investor directly. Some people want a monthly cash flow. We personally don't. We tend to accumulate it and give it in what's called a balloon payment. So it all comes at the end. But you could in theory pay them, you know, half the interest as you go along. Not the full interest because that would be 600 pounds of your 700 pounds. So it'd be too much. 8% wouldn't work um, as a monthly payment, but you can certainly pay half it. And the idea is that at the end of the three years, you would have, I think it worked out as uh, 11,000 pounds put aside towards the interest payments. So you would have more than enough money um, from the refinance at 80%, which is a little bit high. The rates aren't going to be great. But as you go along, as the property prices increase, you'd be able to refinance onto 75% mortgage, which would have better rates. But the, the key is to be able to pay that angel investor back. That property is yours. You've paid back that angel investor gone up in value it's giving you a nice cash flow and on the bank's rates which are much lower which you know I imagine they'd be about three or four percent compared to eight percent you're paying your angel it would cash flow much better basically so in the three years time you would have you'd refinance it'd be a hundred around 116 grand you'd have 11 grand from the mortgage payments that you've kind of put aside to pay your angel back so they are owed 118 which is the 90 grand and three years worth of interest so you have more than enough the big <laughs> like flashing red lights, hopefully that you're sat there going, what are you talking about, Anna? Why are you talking about 8% per annum uplift? In the current market, you're not going to get that 8%. The chances are, and I've talked about this in previous podcasts, we're in a big, like property prices going down at the moment. So we're going to probably see like the market bottom out recover slightly and then plateau. We're going to have a long period of stagnant prices. So the reason I included it was because I wanted to give you like a um, like an overview of how you do it. So you're looking to add value in three ways. You're getting a below market value. You're adding the um, you're doing the renovation to add more value than you're spending on it. And then in an uplifting market, you would have the market uplift. So you'd have the equity going up, like the prices going up. But it depends on the market. And the reason I always include the three is it depends on the market. So in this market, with prices coming down, you're not going to get the uplift. So you have to put all of your exit, not all of your eggs in one basket. You have to solely focus. Oh, instead of the uplift, you have to focus on the discount. So particularly, I mean, we're, we're seeing prices come down at the moment. So really, you need to be going for the steep, steep. Like, I mean, I'm talking, depends what, it's difficult because when people are like, what, what, discount should you put in depends where that property is at that time are they ahead of the drop are they in the middle of the drop are they like behind are they like stalling 
They, it depends where they are. So I can't say definitively, but you want it to really be so that your, your discounted value is below the bottom out market, basically. So say at the bottom, like as prices drop, say where you're, you're expecting to hit that 15% drop and then it's going to recover, you know, by another 5%. You want really a nice 10% drop from the bottom of the market. So it depends where you are at that point. As we get to the bottom out market, really you want to be putting in like a nice discount, like more than, you know, yeah, at least 10%, I would say. But the idea being that you know that prices will bounce back probably by about 5% in plateau. So anyway, I'm going, so I'm going down a bit of a wormhole. In this market, it's a, you're going to have to look at each individual case, but certainly when we're in a flat market, it's easier to say. So in a flat market, you wouldn't be looking for a 10%. Like, you know, remember that the, the neighbour was, was sold for 100 grand. You wouldn't be buying for 90 grand. You'd be buying for much cheaper. Like you'd be wanting a bigger discount because you're not going to get the uplift. So you have those three ways to add the uplift. So if there's not much capital appreciation, then you need to be focusing on the discount. And much like we've had in the last, like two years ago, it'd be like, well, there's no, you can't get a discount because everything's flying off the shelves, but you know, you're going to get a massive uplift. So you, you wouldn't be worrying about getting a discount to property, but you'd be enjoying the nice uplift. This is why you have to work harder in this market. Like anyone could make money like two years ago, but this market is much harder. But if you know what you're doing, you can clean up because not everyone can do it. I will just touch briefly on the second part, the forcing or like forcing the uh, value up the renovation. I talk about spending five grand to add 15 grand's worth of value. And that's typically what we do. And there's also something else you can do, which is to do the main things. Like if there's a rewire, anything that's like a big expensive item, pay for that yourself, but then give the rest of the renovation to the tenant and offer them free rent in return. You'll save yourself a fortune, obviously get the right tenant, you know, tradesmen, there's a way that you can do this. But the idea is that it will save you money on the second one as well. So the numbers are tight, or if you're not sure, if you're a bit nervous, add that in, like save yourself money on the renovation. So you're still doing the five grand renovation, but you're not actually spending five grand. So you, we, we have done this where we've done very little work to the property. In fact, I know one of Drew's clients did no work to the property and they got like a 20 grand renovation. They did offer some, I think it was like three or four months rent free, but it saved them a small fortune. That's also an added extra you can sometimes do. But the idea is you're buying cheap, you're buying properties cheaper. You're forcing the value up so that when you refinance, you can put all the money out back out to repay the angel. If you're a numbers person, I apologize and I will move on swiftly. But I wanted to give you an idea of how the numbers work because I don't think people tend to do that. The other thing I want to just very quickly talk about is the backup options. So we're saying when we're putting offers in, we're going, this is what we think is going to happen. So at the moment, the market isn't going to uplift. The only uplift you're going to get is that five, probably 5% bounce back. So you can absolutely include that into your calcs but everything else needs to come from the discounts or the renovation. But you need to be like, this is what I think is going to work. So therefore this is my offer. But if things go awry, maybe the market could, I mean, it might be the market does better than we're expecting. It might, you know, it might just be that you get a better valuation than you're expecting, but you have to have lots of backup plans. The And I've got lots of different backup plans. The main ones I always fall back on is because ultimately you're wanting to refinance to pay the angel back with interest. So again, if you use banks, it's very restricted because they'll do 75, maybe 80% loan to value. And actually, if you're like, well, I could do it on 85%, but the banks won't offer 85%, then use another angel. Like there'll be plenty of angels who would be interested in giving you an 85% loan to value on this property because they've got some, you know, 
it's not a big risk. Whereas when you're buying the 90 grand property, they're buying hundred effectively hundred percent loan to value. I mean, it's not because very quickly it's going to, you're building in that, that buffer, that equity. But when you're refinancing, you know, uh, say for example, 85% in three years time, it's going to be easier to find an angel because the fact that it's already up and running, there's less risk, I guess is what I'm trying to say. The numbers already kind of set. So you can refinance with another angel in order to be able to repay your original angel or extend. Some angels are very happy to extend. We have a couple of angels that are what we call open-ended angels. So they're just like their investment keeps rolling on basically until they let us know that they want to start finalizing the the um, arrangements. The other thing, again, is like the other backup, backup, backup plan is you can just sell the property because, you know, really the, the only real risk is can I refinance, pull enough money out to pay that original loan? And you might decide, you know, I mean, I don't know, say you can't find another angel in three years time or say, I don't know what if something happens and you, I don't know, decide you don't want to have the property. You can sell the property. You're always going to have enough equity in the property to be able to re you know, to sell it and repay the angel basically. So there's lots of other ones, but the main ones are find a new angel, extend with the current angel on a new, you know, potential on a new contract or sell the property basically. But really go, like I said, going to the bank will be, it'll be easier. It'll be cheaper rates, you know, so there's definitely advantages to it, but you don't have to rely on banks. The final thing I'm going to say about angel investors is it works for your own home as well. So when when Drew and I bought our first home together, which was eight months after we started doing property, we had no taxable income. We had no money to buy the properties. We were very, a very unsatisfactory candidate for a mortgage. So because we had been doing property this way, we were like, well, why don't we just do the same thing? So we bought a small starter home. It was 66 grand, which doesn't feel very much now. But at the time when you've got no money, that feels like an awful lot of money. It felt a huge amount of money. But now, obviously, 12 years or 11 years later, it feels not very much. But it what it felt a lot of the time, you know. But we found an angel to buy 100%, exactly the same techniques, 100%. We borrowed uh, the 66 grand, we bought the property. We actually renovated, it, it, we ran it, we, the, it just needed a lick of paint really. We painted it ourselves. We did get the kitchen replaced and then we lived there. We then moved out and got a buy-to-let mortgage on the property. And that was what was used to repay the angel. So it's much easier to get lend to get a bank mortgage on a buy-to-let property than it is to get your own, you're on your own home because they're going on the fact that you know, properties are so rentable. Like there's a massive demand for renting rented properties. The cash flow is almost always enough to be able to cover the rents. And it's a, an asset, you know, it's not your own home, it's an asset. So you can, it's so much easier. If you can't buy your own home, you can almost certainly get a buy set property. So that's what we did. So if you want to buy, use angels to buy your own home, buy cash with an angel. Again, do all the same techniques, get it cheap, renovate it. Uh, if it's not uplifting market, brilliant. If not, just make sure you get it cheap. You can do longer. Like you, you don't have to do two or three years. We do that because we want to recycle the money and get it into another property. And we tend to find angels want to invest for two or three years. You can absolutely have a seven-year mortgage with an angel. You know, you can do longer. Like I say, we've got a couple of open-ended ones, and they've invested for a good few years with us. But if you're buying your own home, particularly if it's someone you know, they might be open to like a longer-term investment. But yeah, basically borrow the hundred percent. You know, uh, to buy it, get it cheap renovate it, add some value. And then at some point, if you can move out, get a buy-set mortgage, don't live in the property on a buy-set mortgage. That's mortgage fraud and it's a massive no-no. 
but certainly um, once you move out, get a buy set mortgage, that should be able to pay them back. And again, you won't have a mortgage. So I'd be putting money aside for the interest payments so that you know, you know, that you've got a couple of ways you're making sure you can pay that money back to the angel. Right. The second way is lease options. And again, that's going to be coming back in a big way because of the market. Lease options, but I'm not going to go into as much detail, but lease options is basically where you have a contract. It's actually a really simple contract. You have a contract with someone where you're going, it basically says, I'm going to buy your property from you in anything really between two and 10 years. Again, we tend to do the shorter contracts, but I know some people do 10 year contracts, but I'm going to buy the property from you, say in four years time for sake of arguments. In the meantime, I'm going to take ownership, I'm going to take control of this property. And what a lot of people tend to do is they rent them out. But again, you don't have to rent them out. You can keep them for yourself. You can rent them out. Again, just make sure the mortgage is the correct mortgage. Um, but basically, you a lease option is where you take control of a property that you don't actually own. The sale goes through later. It's actually called a lease option because you have the option but not the obligation to buy it. So you could actually then in you know four years time decide not to buy it. But obviously, most people tend to buy it. The reason it works for the person, because a lot of people are like, well, why would someone do that? If I had a property, why would I give someone the property but I haven't sold it to them and they would have it for four years? And it's not even like a done deal. It could be that they say no. The reason being, it only really works when there's no change. So a, the best example really is imagine someone is moving abroad, say that they've got a job abroad, they're moving abroad and they've got their property in the market at the moment. And obviously the, the market's like, you know, the property prices are coming down. Suddenly they can't sell. They, they can't sell and say they've got a mortgage. They need to sell it for a certain amount of money. So they can't just like drop the price or don't want to drop the price. The idea is like, and particularly if, so say for example, I don't know, so it's on for a hundred grand, the mortgage is like 95, say, and the prices are dropping. So people are putting in like 80 grand, you know, um, offers, it's just too low. Really what you could do is you could say, look, it's probably going to be worth about, what was the numbers I said? About 90 grand in a year's time. So we wouldn't, we can't buy it for 95 to clear your mortgage, but what we can do is we can do a seven-year lease option, for example. Do a longer one because it'll give enough time for the market to drop, bounce back, recover, plateau, and hopefully start lifting again. But even if it doesn't, it will give you that time to be able to make an income from the property to be able to cover the shortfall effectively. So you could either do it for a rental. You could either just take it on, rent it out um, for the next seven years and create an income. What would normally happen is if they've got a mortgage on it, you would just cover the mortgage payments, you know, over the next few years. And particularly if it's a residential mortgage payment, hopefully it'll be pretty cheap. So it will be um, basically creating cash flow for you. But you're taking ownership of this property, you're creating an income from the property, and then you had the option, but not the obligation to buy it in seven years. Like I said, most people tend to buy it. But again, the same thing, you can then either use um, a bank, use a mortgage to buy it, or you can use an angel investor to buy it. But the idea with the lease options, really, what you're trying to do is you're agreeing a price now that in a few years time, um, the property prices will go up enough. So you're getting, you're building in a discount for you but so they will be selling it slightly cheaper, but they know that they can just be done with it. They know that they're going to be able to pay off their mortgage in however many years time. It gives them the peace of mind. It's really for people who need to sell, but don't need the money now effectively. So it is a specialist tool, but it is a good tool to know because in that probably one in 20 cases that it actually applies, it's good to be able to have the option. And again, it works for your own home. So it's worth a hundred grand, <laughs> you know, and say so they've got a hundred grand mortgage on it for sake of argument. 
and you're happy to buy it for 100 grand because this is going to be your own home. Um, you could potentially get a lease option for two years, live in it for two years. Then when you move out, buy, you know, using it, well, actually, like maybe potentially use a buy-step mortgage to buy it or something. But the idea is you can live there for a couple of years, either yourself or you can rent it out to an investor, basically. The third one is rent to rent. And it's not technically property ownership, but you have an option to add that on. I'll come on to that in a second. But rent to rent is what we do with our Airbnbs. We rent a property from landlord and then we turn it into an Airbnb to create an income that covers the rent to the landlord and then obviously our profits. It's a really nice way of doing property. It's much faster. You don't need the deposit. You don't need the mortgages. It's just much quicker and easier to do. You don't have to do Airbnbs. You can do rent to rent for a buy to let. You can do rent to rent HMO. It's not really appropriate for living there yourself. Although I think because that would just be renting. You would just be renting from landlords. But certainly in terms of creating an income stream from property, it's a really great way of doing it. But you can have the option. You can have what's a lease option at the end of it. So you'd be rent, rent to renting. And then at the end, say you have a three-year contract with a landlord and a rent to rent contract. At the end of the three years, you could um, have a lease option. So at the end of the three years, you then have the option to purchase the property. So depending on what's going on in the pricing, like say the prices have recovered somewhat and then you've you've agreed to buy it for 100 grand and actually it's worth 110, you've basically locked in a nice discount. So some people do that. They combine rent to rent with lease options, which is obviously the property ownership. Again, it kind of feeds into, you can then use an angel investor to buy it or you can use potentially a buy to or an Airbnb mortgage to buy it. So it is one worth mentioning. It's not as clear cut as the other ones. You can't really do it for yourself and it's not definitely property ownership, but done in the right way, you can absolutely buy houses that way without using a bank. So that's the end of today's episode. It's an interesting one for me because I love talking about this because I think the more I want people to understand that you can buy houses without using mortgages that we don't have to be reliant on banks because I think it can be very disempowering when you think you've only got one way of buying properties and the bank says yes or no so I want as many people to know as possible that you can buy properties without mortgages once you know how and all this stuff is taught in the property world but it's not taught to the general public. So what I'm trying to do is share the words so that people hopefully feel more empowered when it comes to money and owning their own home. So a bit of a detailed techie one today. I hope that makes sense. If you have any questions, you can contact me at propertyempress.com. There's a contact form. My email is anna at annapierce.com, which is P-E-A-R-C-E. You can also contact me through Instagram, direct messaging. And Richard, obviously he's not here at the moment, but he is on, I think, Twitter, (laughs) Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, I think, is pretty much property. So you can contact him there. I'll put all the information in the show notes. Have a fabulous week. And Rich and I both look forward to seeing you next week, hopefully. So have a wonderful week. Bye.